Welcome to Threads of Healing, conversations with the wayward and the wise. This is your host, Dr. Ila Manga, coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Threads of Healing is the space for exploring what healing could mean by having deep conversations with wisdom keepers, doctors, artists, storytellers, fact finders and visionaries. We bring awareness to the voices who have answered their call to heal and to discover a new way of living, breathing and being in the world and will inspire you to do the same. Today I'll be talking to a very special human, Dr. Riaz Mutara, an integrative cardiologist who is not just a doctor of the heart, but also a healer of the soul. He is a true visionary, a medical maverick who is helping to shift the paradigm of medicine to one that places the patient at the center of the healing process, that interrogates the root causes of illness and who is laying the foundation for the future of medicine through his digital health company that integrates a wealth of medical expertise with groundbreaking technology. Riaz, welcome. Thank you very much, Ila, for having me. You know, I was so excited when I first came across you about five years ago. I hadn't met you then, but the fact that there was someone out there who was an integrative cardiologist, I was so excited by this idea. And I think that's really interesting that, you know, part of our medical training is that we get deeper into super specialities. And certainly that was your journey, you know, after doing your internship and then specializing as a physician and then super specializing as a cardiologist. You know, you're, you're, you become so deeply immersed in your field. And I mean, Make no mistake, this is what is necessary. If I had to have a heart transplant tomorrow, I would want the best cardiologist out there, the best cardiothoracic surgeon out there. But I think that part of this problem or the shadow aspect of that is that as one gets deeper into the field of speciality, we tend to lose the bigger picture. You didn't, though. So you're 100% correct. I think modern medicine has trained us to become organ specialists. Um, and we see you as a heart or a kidney or a brain. Um, and we have forgotten that you are the sum total of all of it. So I trained as a cardiologist. And, you know, and when I went into practice, uh, it took me two years to realize that there was a problem with the way I was managing my patients. So, yes, many patients did come in with heart attacks and we needed to fix that quite urgently and we put in stents into people's hearts and they go home the next day. But what I found was subsequently, patients would then come and see me and say, I'm tired or I can't lose weight um, or I have a headache that's not going away. And I would say, well, maybe it's your medication and try and treat it symptomatically. And they would leave and then they'd come back a month later with similar symptoms. And after about two years of being in practice as a cardiologist, as a young cardiologist, I was ready to give up medicine. 
um, I didn't have much job satisfaction at the time. I felt like I was doing good, but at the same time felt something... Like you were missing something. Like something was missing, mm. yeah. And I happened to then meet one of our colleagues, who was an endocrinologist, and sat down one Saturday afternoon and said, well, maybe I'm going to do something different, you know. And he said to me, well, maybe it's just your approach to how you diagnose or how you investigate or how you treat people. And he introduced me to the concept of functional medicine mm -hmm. and looking at a patient more holistically and trying to get to understand people's whys. So what in our environment influences us in a particular way uh, that then eventually creates a symptom and a sign uh, and then we are, you know, we see them, we diagnose them, and we issue a prescription with medication. And um, I think that got me on my journey of, of discovery uh, almost 20 years ago of doing things differently. That can be quite a scary process, though, because you're opening up a whole can of worms. When we start to look at the whole human being, we realize how complex we are. And in fact, the more we delve into the inner workings of the mystery that is the human being, the more we realize that we don't know. And I think that is part of the fear of practicing in a, in a more holistic way. Absolutely. So I think, you know, for me, many people have, have understood I go to my doctor when I feel symptomatic. I've got a headache, I've got a pain in my chest, my knee is sore, and so on. And most of us have been trained, or we've trained patients or people to understand that everything is going to be solved uh, through a prescription. Um, so medication is important. I'm not saying people don't need medication necessarily. Um, the issue is really getting to understand people's whys. What in the environment, why do we get something that affects us at a particular point in our life? Why not five years earlier or two years later? Why, why do I feel the way that I feel right now? You know, what in my environment uh, has triggered this response in my body? So, you know, I firmly believe in the concept of reflective awareness, meaning that our physical body just merely reflects what we're really thinking or what we're choosing. And when I began to understand that and, and, and research that, um, it changed the way I view patients or um, you know, how you interpret what's going on with them. Many patients actually tell you within the first five minutes actually what's causing their problem. Mm. Uh, as doctors, one of the biggest problems that we have is that we interrupt people. Mm. We don't listen. We have lost the art of listening to our patients and reading between, their line, reading between the lines to figure out what in the environment is actually creating this disease in their body. Mm. I think part of the problem of the Western paradigm and the reason that doctors are not able to deeply listen is the pressure of time constraints and the fact that doctors themselves are burnt out. You know, I know that I was burnt out when I finished my community service, two years of being sleep deprived. Um, you know, it was only when I was in GP practice that I allowed myself more time to listen that I started to see a more holistic paradigm emerging. 
and um, I felt more inspired to practice differently. So, I mean, I, mean, I think that this is part of the system of medical training that then perpetuates in the doctor-patient relationship. How, how do we start to shift this? So, firstly, I think many more doctors are beginning to have that paradigm shift. 18 years or 20 years ago, it was very difficult to have a paradigm shift because we feared what our colleagues would think and say about us. Yeah. Um, so I think if I talk personally, uh, many of the paradigm shifts that I've had in my life have largely been driven by my patients. Mm -hmm. So the patients actually um, created that shift. Mm -hmm. They were not happy. They've been to multiple doctors. Um, they didn't get answers. They couldn't understand why they were ill. They were getting worse. And, um, you know, they find you. And I believe that there is no such a thing as a coincidence in life. You know, the universe shifts to allow you to bring people together that will give you those answers. Mm. And more importantly, it was my own personal growth over the past 20 years of understanding myself first before I could understand my patients. Mm. So I've spent a lot of time um, empowering myself, figuring out myself first, understanding the concept of, of fear and how emotions uh, affect us on a daily basis, you know, in terms of uh, why we get ill in the first place. Mm. So... I think it's crucial to, to understand that doctors are human as well. They're also faced with the same emotional traumas, the same nutritional deficiencies, like many of the other people that, that, that we have the blessing of, of looking after. So for me, it was crucial to first understand myself, understand how I fit into a bigger picture, and then getting to a point of understanding how do I give of my best to everybody that I see. So these days, my discuss, discussion changes every time uh, I see somebody new. And I start off the process in my mind by saying, what gift am I sharing with them today? Mm. So if there is no such a thing as a coincidence, okay, then uh, if somebody, I believe if somebody does come or crosses your path, then the question always is, how do I give off my best to them? What gift am I sharing with them today? Or perhaps maybe what gift are they sharing with me? Mm -hmm. And I think if you start off the conversation um, um, in, you know, with everybody you meet in that fashion, it changes the nature of the discussion and it then changes the nature of the outcome. Mm -hmm. And that requires a deep humility. Mm -hmm. That's true. You know, and I think that this whole experience uh, right now uh, that we are going through as humanity is a lesson in humility, certainly for the medical profession. You know, because actually, if we really had to admit it, we don't know what's going on. Yeah, I think that's that's. Uh, there's a lot of truth in that. I think for me, everything that arrives, you know, it's getting to a point of acceptance, Ila that every moment as it arrives in our life is absolute perfection because either we have chosen it so individually or we have chosen it so as a collective. Mm. So um, judging this, 
judging the, the process or, or trying to, to figure it out okay, is, doesn't necessarily help us overcome these emotions. Mm. I think for me it's important to, um, you know, I've, I, I keep on reminding myself that every moment that arises in my life is absolute perfection. And that is the acceptance because um, if, you, if you come from that point of view, then you know it's only because you have made a choice, personal choice, to create your own personal reality. So I've learned some time back that nobody does anything to you. Okay? Nobody's harming you. Nobody makes you think in a particular way. It's you thinking it. It's you choosing your reality. And you create every moment of your reality through a choice that you have made. But that means taking responsibility. Absolutely, and that's sometimes difficult for, for many people to accept that responsibility that it's only them choosing their reality. It's sometimes easier for us to blame um, someone else or the way the system is or uh, I don't have enough money uh, or I'm not intelligent enough and so on to blame it on many other factors but actually not understanding that it actually comes from within yourself. So as an example, if you and I shared a cup of coffee, in a trillion, trillion, trillion years, um, I could never understand what that coffee tastes like to you, and you can never understand what that coffee tastes like to me, no matter how many times we sit around a fire and describe it to each other. So it's only you, okay? And, and we choose our reality or we create the experiences and the reality to the choices that we make at a thought level. And we have the opportunity and the ability um, to change that. So, for example, if you look, if you go back in your life, okay, and go back as far as back as you can remember, and start looking at all the different things that have affected you, different events that have happened in your life, that were major emotional events. And try and analyze, write this down. You know, go to each event, what happened at age 10, at age 15, at age 20, and so on. And ask yourself, what were the emotions that were attached to that event? Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself, what did I think about, talk about, and what decisions did I make in my life? And what you'll find quite quickly is that you are reacting or reenacting or recreating the same response to different events but the same emotion. So in that moment, I think for us the biggest growth can be that instead of recreating the same moment or the same response to these emotions, that we become creative rather than reactive in the moment and choose differently. And suddenly everything is very different because you can create an entire new future and an entire new experience simply by choosing in a particular way. But even to get to that place is a process, and I think it's a daily process. Yeah, I think it's, it's something we have to negotiate in every moment, in every day. Yes. It's not like we suddenly arrive at this point. Right. Absolutely. So that's why I'm saying it's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. And once you have insight into how it all works, it actually becomes easier. It becomes easier to recover. So... Because we live in this realm of duality, of, of um, equal and opposites, 
Okay, we will always be faced with um, different challenges and different emotions um, that will challenge us. So we often fall back uh, and go back into an old way of being. Uh, and but when you understand it, it becomes easier to recover. Yeah. I think it's about how do we relate to that old way of thinking rather yes. than getting caught up in it. Mm. I think that's the difference, right? Yes. So for me, you know, I've 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 had to understand that there's only two emotions, possible human emotions. There are only two core human emotions the way I see it. You're either coming from a point of love, or you're going to be coming from a point of fear. Every negative emotion that you experience, what we would call guilt or anger or shame or resentment or loss, is just merely a byproduct or a derivative of a core fear mm. that we choose. Or a fearful belief system, the fear of rejection, the fear of not being good enough, the fear of loss, the fear of being rejected. Right, but remember that it's a core fear mm -hmm. that then creates... So guilt is just another word for fear. Absolutely. Okay. So if you're coming from the opposite side, from a point of love, then all other positive emotions are just derivatives of a core emotion called love. So, but ultimately at the end of the day, that love and that fear are just one emotion called love. So, you know, what we do is we constantly move between two paradigms. We're either choosing positively all the time And then the biggest negative fear or biggest fear will balance us out. So the aim is not to get rid of fear or to only think positively. It can't happen. The system doesn't operate that way. The aim is to become an observer of your choices mm -hmm. okay, and to step back and choose. Mm -hmm. So if, as an example, um, let's say you always wanted to buy a red Ferrari in your life got the money, you won the lotto now, and you're going to buy, and you choose to buy a red Ferrari. In that instant of desire, the opposite fear is then created as a reference point for you to know your desire. So you may think, well, what happens if the receiver of revenue contacts me? Oh, it's going to be too expensive to look after this car. Mm. So maybe I'll buy a Fiat Uno. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we keep changing our mind, okay, because we constantly subconsciously we have trained ourselves to always choose from a point of fear. And whatever you choose, you are going to create in your life. Mm -hmm. okay? So the ultimate acceptance, I think, is getting to understand and accept both sides, your fears and your desires, as being one and the same thing, mm -hmm. and that everything that arrives in our life actually arrives because we have chosen it to be so. And when we can get to that point of acceptance and detachment, um, that's when the ultimate happens because now it's, you know, you experience joy in that moment, irrespective of what arrives, because you cannot judge your own choices because everything that arrives, you have chosen it to be so. You know, you've just described such a, an amazing, powerful, multidimensional journey of dropping into the ultimate kind of root causes. Mm. This fear, that how does it actually then manifest in the illness? So What is that process? Yeah, so fear uh, as an emotion, um, you must remember that the way we have developed over thousands of years is that there's, you would divide that fear into sort of an acute and a chronic fear. 
The acute fear is the lion is about to attack you and eat you up, or a snake is about to bite you. And that acute fear drives a massive adrenaline release in our body and um, constricts your blood vessels. Your eyes are wide open, your pupils are narrow, your palms are sweaty. And it's designed, that fight, flight, or fright response is actually designed to save our life. When we expose to chronic fears, Okay, from events that happen in our life, a divorce, death of a family member, financial uh, problems. Okay, um, Or a repetitive fear-based pattern of thinking. Yes, mm. but yes. So th- that fear then drives this chronic release of adrenaline. Okay, And these adrenaline levels, or chronically high adrenaline levels, create a concept called sympathetic overdrive. Too much atre- adrenaline in our body. And this excess adrenaline over long periods of, of, of time may trigger light switches in our DNA called epigenetic phenomena uh, that then would switch on a light switch for cancer or heart attacks or strokes or diabetes. So to explain to you, you know, I mean, our DNA stays the same throughout in our life, but the light switches in our DNA are never the same. They're constantly in a state of flux depending on what we expose ourselves to in our environment. So we have roughly 24,000 genes in our genome, in our DNA. And each gene doesn't give you a particular physical effect. It can give you up to 2,000 potential effects. So that's 24,000 to the power of 2,000. And that's why we are all unique. Mm -hmm. So you could switch on or switch off a light switch at any point in your life depending on what you're exposing yourself to in your environment. So um, it's crucial that when we understand how this process works from something in our environment or in our thought processes or from an emotional perspective or a nutritional deficiency or a toxin or a pollutant or an infection, creates particular three potential effects in our body. Mm-hmm. One is that it can cause chronic inflammation, The second is that it affects our nervous system, as I've just described, from having too much adrenaline in our body. And then the third big pillar is that it affects or causes hormonal imbalances or excesses. And these, you may have one of them, of these pillars, or all three, coexisting in the body at the same time. And these physiological effects then may trigger light switches in our DNA that then make us ill. And we then present with signs and symptoms of, um, of, of something gone wrong in our body. And then we're taking medication to try and treat those symptoms. So for me, it's important to understand that continuum of how we get ill in the first place. Mm-hmm. And most people will tell you what the cause of the problem is, as I said, within the first few minutes. So sometimes a patient would walk in and say, Um, something like, you know, doctor, last year since my grandmother died, now I can't lose weight and I'm tired and my blood pressure's high. Okay, He's just told you in the first line what caused his problem and when it happened. Okay, So it's crucial and important to get, for most people, to ask the why and when questions. Mm -hmm. Why does something affect you at a particular point in your life? What is it in your environment that has triggered the problem in your body. And when we're able to look at things differently and try and get a, a big picture view of what's going on in your life, 
it becomes much easier. That's the insight that people that's have. That's the awareness. That's, that's one aspect. But I think it's also about supporting people to create the conditions for healing to happen. So awareness is one part, right. but also creating the space of inner safety that allows the parasympathetic response to wake up is as important. Absolutely. So I think for me, um, you know, when you can give a patient insight into why they feel the way they do. So I believe that 50% of the cure is having insight right. into what caused the problem. Mm -hmm. The remaining 50% is really what you're going to do about it. Now, many people may have find that answer in different places. For some people, it is medication. You know, for other people, it may be prayer. For other people, um, it may be through a psychologist. You know, for most people, I think it, you know it could come from a point of just breathing. Okay, learning how to breathe in a different way. You know, and getting your nervous system balanced. Uh, eating correctly from an anti-inflammatory point of view, okay. um, getting your hormonal levels balanced, um, and then movement in the right way. Mm -hmm. So I don't talk about exercise anymore, and you know I rather talk about moving, uh, because if your system is imbalanced, and you try and go to gym and do high-intensity training, you actually make the entire process worse. So not everybody needs to be exercising at a level of very high intensity. So it's trying to get to a holistic approach and a balanced view from a lifestyle perspective uh, of getting people to have insight firstly into what caused their problem and then through a combination perhaps of the appropriate medication as well as lifestyle intervention, you can get it right. Yeah. And I think that approach is so unique to every individual, like you've said, yes. because we're all unique. We all have our own genetic makeup, uh, our own environmental factors, um, our own emotional kind of patterns and ways of thinking and the ways of relating to the world. And all of those aspects play a role in how uh, we experience our health and well-being. And I think that that's also something important to realize, and this is possibly where the old paradigm of medicine falls short is that there's a standard one-size-fits-all approach. And I think that, you know, the future of medicine is so exciting is because it's becoming more personalized. So, yes, I think for us as doctors, if you look at the way we were trained, is that we apply the same rules to everybody. You know, we have a guideline that has been published that says you treat everybody with this the same way. Um, you know, the sum total of our lectures, uh, if you can remember, on nutrition were two lectures on vitamin A to Z. Exactly. You know, so Which is a fundamental pillar of health. Absolutely. So uh, we don't understand um, how nutritional deficiencies and micronutrient deficiencies um, create illness. So for most chronic diseases, it's actually the healing response gone wrong. Okay, so let me give you an example of that. If, for example, you um, have a high cholesterol level and you're eating uh, or you have lots of micro-inflammation in your body from uh, having diabetes or being exposed to toxins or having gum disease or an unhealthy gut and so on, and you have this chronic level of inflammation in our body, in the lining of our arteries, 
that same inflammation takes the cholesterol and oxidizes it or make create forms it in creates a form of cholesterol that's very dense and small and sticky at the same time you've got an inflamed lining of the artery and simplistically the body thinks well if you've got an inflamed artery it may rupture so it takes the sticky inflamed or oxidized cholesterol and deposits it at sites of inflammation like putty mm. it's okay. almost protective it's almost protective it's mm. a healing response mm. by the body but when the inflammation is chronic over many years the body keeps depositing more and more cholesterol at the sites of inflammation mm. so it's the healing response gone wrong over many years that's actually going to give you the heart attack not necessarily the cholesterol itself mm. okay so now that we understand these concepts of uh, why we get ill and thinking of things very differently we able now to be able to look at a more personalized way of managing um what you're experiencing mm. so where do you see the future of medicine going so i think things this this crisis that we a so-called crisis that we've been uh, experiencing right now has just accelerated the process of what was already on its way so i think we're moving into a new paradigm i think we're going through a major shift um in the world in terms of moving into a fully digital world or artificially intelligent world or the age of digital superintelligence um where ai will take over many of the functions that we can perform as humans. We are not going to have the mental capacity or the brain power to compete with AI in the next few years. In fact, it already exists to some degree. So many I think if you look going forward, you're not going to need to have maybe teachers. You may have digital avatars. Okay, training you, teaching you you may not need an accountant you may not need a lawyer all of this would be done through an ai solution there may only be one app okay called ai that self writes itself so from a well-being perspective and healthcare perspective i anticipate that we are going to have many more people suffering with chronic anxiety with stress with depression with cancer with obesity as a consequence of going through this whole process. We are not ready for it as a species. Well, unless we make different choices now. Absolutely. So the aim is not necessarily to fear the change, but to embrace that change and see it as potentially the greatest opportunity in your life to pivot. You know, maybe AI on the flip side would allow us to have more time to look after ourselves and to walk and to uh, be engaged in mindful experiences. So I don't think 7.7 billion people on the planet currently um would be able to fit in to an AI world. Mm. Uh the planet cannot support 7.7 billion people the way that it is. We're killing the planet. Mm. So we are moving into that space of um a far more technologically advanced uh future and it's going to happen much faster than what people actually think is going to happen. So as doctors we will not be practicing the same way. 
the vast majority of us. Um, many things will be diagnosed from a drop of blood. Okay, Many things will be treated very differently through smart medications and newer genetic therapies and nanotechnology. You know, So all of that is coming, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think for us as a species, perhaps the greatest investment that we can make in ourselves right now is learning how to or, or empowering ourselves with the tools uh, to manage in that future space. So how do you do that for yourself? I mean, you're, you're a father, mm. you see patients, you, you do angiograms, you run a massive digital healthcare company. How do you support yourself? What is your process of healing for yourself? Yeah, so, you know, this has been a journey, Ila, for me, I mean, over many years. And I think, as I said earlier, you know, I mean, the greatest investment that I could have ever made was not necessarily in my practice or in a business or in any other field. The greatest investment that I made was in understanding myself and empowering myself, okay? To understand my own fears and my own joys, okay? And getting to that point of acceptance that everything is just perfect the way that it is. And when you can get to that point, um, possibility opens, comes across you. You know, it's everything that is possible, everything, uh, and that's the excitement, because you desire something and you meet somebody and then it happens. I don't see anything as being impossible anymore in my life. I see myself of having any potential experience that I desire to have. And I then go and create that in my life. So I've learned to come from a, from a, from a, a personal point of being rather than trying to do too much or try to have more things in my life. And being in a particular way, just if I choose to be happy, then I do the things that make me happy, and I have happiness. You know, So um, I have the experience of happiness. And the more people that I can empower along on this journey and give in a way that I desire to give uh, actually gets me closer to that point of experiencing that joy. So it's not about how much money you have. You know, I think... We're still stuck in that paradigm that I need to have more and that more is better and that will define me outwardly. For me, the greatest growth has been in learning or feeling comfortable within myself, of accepting myself for who I am and what I, what I can do, uh, and then go and do my best in everything that I, that I do. So when you are inspired, you have unlimited energy. Okay, you can accomplish so much because you feel the joy in every moment uh, of that inspiration. So I get up in the morning and I don't go to work anymore. I get up in the morning and I'm going to do something that I love. And even in these or the darkest times now that we're getting exposed to and people are losing their jobs and their incomes have been cut and it's not like before where you could still look for a new job. People now don't know where they're going to find a job. Mm -hmm. But even in all of that is possibility. Okay? It's whether you're coming from a point of abundance or whether you're coming from the opposite side of lack, of love or fear. And I think there's a huge need 
for more people to uh, or people that understand it to be able to train or impart this knowledge mm. to as many people as possible to give people not necessarily hope but to give people tools to empower themselves to um uh, to accept what is going on okay and that it is going to be a very different future whether we like it or not so how do we exist how do we participate uh, how do we find joy in a very technology uh, driven future and it is possible wow rias this has been an incredible conversation thank you very much thank Anna. you thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to threads of healing the podcast i'm your host dr ila manga if you haven't subscribed yet please do so on apple podcasts or spotify and feel free to leave a review and tell us what you think if you have found this podcast inspiring and useful and you know someone who would too please feel free to pass this along 